Cheers! Kampai! Salute! Gambe! Skull! Prost! Hello, and welcome to the Drunken Storytellers podcast, where I tell folk tales and folklore from around the globe. So sit back, grab yourself a drink, and enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to episode 21 of the Drunken Storyteller. This week's episode, I'm going to tell you two stories. And, and delve into a lit, into one of them a little bit, but not too much. So the first one is one of my favourite tales from good old Yorkshire. And the second one comes all the way from China. Um, they're kind of similar, but kind of not in a way. They, they follow the same theme, I suppose. So to go with these two tales, um, my, my drinks of choice this time. So what am I drinking? Um, for the first tale, because it's based in Yorkshire, it's actually based in York as well. I tried to find some beer from York. I didn't try very hard, I apologise. I'm getting very lazy at these drink choices. But what I did do is rather than pick something that goes from York, I picked something that fits the story very well. I've got Northern Monk Faith. That's going to go with the first story. It, fit, it fits kind of both both stories, I suppose. Um, for the second story, I uh, wanted to get some Chinese beer. I wanted to get, um, I think it's called Drunken Buddha. I can't remember this full name, but um, I was unable to find that in the the 30 minutes that I went looking for it. <laughs> uh, as I say, I'm, I'm not putting much effort in at the moment. So I, I, I caved and I just got some Tiger beer from the local co-op. So uh, what is it from? It's from Singapore, the Singapore beer lager, I should say. I wanted. I was going to hope. I was hoping for Tsingtao or something like that, but they didn't have that either. Um, so, bit of a failure on that one. Um, but yeah, uh, Northern Monk Faith. It's a it's a hazy pale ale. It's quite nice. It's from Leeds, so it's in Yorkshire, but it's not from York. But it's a Northern Monk about faith. And well, when you get to the stories, you'll understand why that fits. Uh, also, um, whenever you're listening to this. Um, we've probably already done this. If not, um, on Friday the 13th of August. Ooh, spoopy, spoopy. Um, I do have an episode on the number 13 if you want to go listen to that. I think it was actually my 13th episode as well. So, well, technically 13.5 or 14, but we're going to go with 13. Uh, on Friday the 13th of August, which will be the day after this is released, I am running Vesson. Finally, it's going to happen. <laughs> Um, and we have three three amazing, amazing podcasters, folklore podcasters um, on there that I'm sure everyone who listens to this is fully aware of who they are. Um, and they are much more successful than me, who only has about three listeners. Um, but yeah, we have the amazing Sean Esther from Celtic Myths and Legends. We have the fabulous Icy Sedgwick from Fabulous Folklore with Icy uh, and Rural Gothic fame. And we also have uh, the side-stitchingly funny Mui, James Shakespeare from the Lawman podcast. Now, if he hears this and anybody knows what a Mui is, um, I'm sorry, James, I think. You're not a Mui, really, but I'm hoping it's going to be something fun and special because we do actually have, I do actually have some giveaways for that as well. Um, so I'll be asking a question during the stream because it'll be live at 7.30pm BST on my Twitch channel, uh, which is twitch.tv slash thedrunkenstoryteller. Halfway through there, I will be given a question, and I have four prizes to give away. Free League, the maker of Vesson, have been absolutely phenomenal in giving me some PDFs of the game to give away, and a physical copy of the book and the expansion scenario book, The Wicked Secrets. Um, these are phys- that's physical copies of both of those. So make sure you tune in. I will ask the question and I will be giving everyone a week to get their answers in. And then I'll do a live Twitch thing again to uh, to pick the winners. Um, it will be a name out of the hat thing because I think many people will know what the answers is. And I'm giving you a week because I know you can't all watch it live. So there is that. But yeah, so um, that's thank you, Free League. You're amazing. Um, I can't believe you actually were kind enough to do that. So thank you very much. Uh, oh, the other, the, there might also be something very special happening towards the end of the stream. Now, only I know what that is. So we'll see what happens. Well, I'm not the only one who knows. There's, there's, well, 
Tune in and find out. It may or may not happen. I'm hoping it does. I literally just crossed my fingers there. So <laughs> that was a... Yeah, anyway. Other thing, obviously, I am still re- training for the London Marathon. I have seven weeks left. Um, I will be making reminders of this during this stream as well. So I am running the London Marathon. There's a link to the charity, No Man is an Island, down below. And the Just Giving link is down in the show notes as well. Uh, no Man is an Island, they are looking to end the 5% of cancers worldwide that are caused by HPV. So please do to do give them a look up and a shout out and uh, uh, donate a cup of coffee or something. Price of a cup of coffee or something for that. Um... What else do I need to say? I don't think I need to say anything else. Yeah, so we might as well just get on with the stories. Yeah, so on with the stories. Uh, The first one is, as I say, it's kind of one of my favourite tales from Yorkshire. It's one of my favourite, I suppose, English tales as well. Uh, And it speaks very closely to my heart. It's about um, a very drunk monk, basically, um, who may or may not be the luckiest drunk monk alive. Uh, um, I'm going to be telling you the story of uh, Brother Jocundus. That's his name. There we go. We'll get it right. Um, I'm going to be telling you a kind of an adaptation of the Sabine Bearing Gould version, uh, which comes from Yorkshire Oddities, Incidents and Strange Events, which was published in 1900. This is this is interesting because I've never actually talked about or, or mentioned Sabine Bearing Gould before in this podcast. And I'm not quite sure how I've got through 21 episodes where a lot of them have been on English folklore, how I've not mentioned him. Um, he's a big friend of the Lawmen podcast, uh, one of their big supporters, uh, does, does a lot of work with them, uh, and I've, I've kind of missed him out. So I'll, I'll, I'll let, I'll let the Lawmen keep, keep SBG for a while. Um, but I'm, bor- I'm borrowing him for today's episode. So yeah, um, I'm kind of surprised that I've not included him just as much as I've not talked about, uh, Margaret Murray, but, um, I'll leave her and her ideas and her weird witchcraft stuff till another day. Because oh boy, there's 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 things to say about her, shall we say? But yeah, let's have a let's have a quick chat about who this Sabine fellow is first. Sabine is one of those wonderful, wonderful people known as a Victorian folklorist. As we know, I'm a big fan of the Victorian folklorists because they wrote things down, um, well, not always in a great way or representative of certain things, um, and generally didn't take kindly to women in folklore, but. At least we have a record of a lot of folklore from the Victorians, um, which is kind of nice. So, yeah, anyway, uh, sidetrack. Uh, Sabine, he was born in Devon, uh, and he became an Anglican priest. So there's generally a little bit of churchy slant towards some of his stuff. But during his life, he got interested in collecting folk songs and tales. During that time, he actually published over 1,200 works or 1,200 works. And that's a friggin' lot. That's that's a lot of stuff. Most of it was kind of geared towards folk songs, uh, but he did also do a lot of folk tales as well. So he also wrote hymns. Um, so it wasn't just folklore. He actually wrote hymns for for schools and stuff. And there's one that I'm sure you all remember and you all know of. And I have nightmares and haunt and it haunts me still uh, from singing it in my primary school days. And that is onward, Christian soldiers. Um. I'm not going to say anything about propaganda and weird stuff for seven for seven year old boys at school or people at school when they're seven years old singing something like "Onward, Christian Soldiers" uh, in morning assembly. So we will uh, kind of ignore that. There might be a lot of sly, sly religious comments during this episode because there's a. I'm talking about a monk, so and so not only was he actually a prolific writer, um, he was also prolific in other parts of his life in an almost Catholic kind of way, shall we say. He had uh, 15 children. Um, I kind of feel sorry for his wife on that front, but yes. Uh, most of these children actually lived quite a lot, uh, an old age, um, a good age. They weren't. They didn't all die in infancy, which was shows kind of how rich he probably would have been. Uh, Sabine, he also did a lot of work in Dartmoor um, to pervert, preserve and research the prehistorical sites up there. Like the things like the stone rows and stone circles that kind of dot the area. So yeah, he did some good, did good stuff around there. So yeah, we will look into Sabine a little bit more in other episodes, and I'll definitely look at his tales in other episodes and stuff. But today, I'm going to tell you the story of his drunk monk, or a drunk monk, um, the Brother Jacunda story, and I'm going to be using his version to tell my version. 
So yeah, this 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 is not an actual version. This is just me pissing around with the story. So yeah, here we go. Time for you to meet my brother-in-arms, Brother Jacundus. Back in them good old days in York, there were two religious houses. There was the Abbey of St Mary and St Leonard's Priory. And they were said to be so close together that their walls were touching. The magnificent ruins of St Mary's Abbey Church, they still sit in the gardens of the Yorkshire Museum and are actually really cool. If you get the chance, go and have a look at them. The Priory Church of St Leonard's, well, yeah, did it really exist? Maybe, maybe not. There is, there are, there are the remains of St Leonard's Hospice Church in the gardens by the main entrance of um, the the museum, and in, this is thought to have been the the largest medieval hospice in England. Could it have been? Maybe, don't know. Could it? Have, could it be? Could this be the priory that they're talking about? Um, well, yeah, I'll leave it up to you. Do your own research into that. All I can say is I visited these places and they look from they're phenomenal. They're amazing, um, even as ruins. And you can blame Henry for them being ruins. But yeah, also uh, they're not that close to each other. They are close, but not close enough to kind of maybe touch walls, unless they were much much bigger before they all kind of got destroyed by Henry, because Henry was a git. But yeah, they, they they're definitely not touching now. Uh, but maybe they did. I don't know, a couple of hundred years ago. So. Anyway, back to the story. This takes place at the end of a very eventful 15th century for Yorkshire. So, I don't know, something to do with roses and, and fighting and, and Lancashire. Might have been cricket, I can't remember. There lived a very jovial fellow. He was known by the name of Jucundus, who, under the influences, well, most likely a lot of beer and wine, consumed during a celebration for the new Lord Mayor, he made one of those uh, wonderful drunken commitments that always seems like such a brilliant idea at the time. But when you wake up the next morning with one of those stonking headaches, your stomach's not great, and you just want to curl up into a ball and die, because you have remorse about everything in life. And you realise that joining the Priory as a monk is probably not the greatest idea you've ever had in your life. However, that that is what he did. And uh, many, many were his regrets. For there was no escape. He had signed on the dotted line and he committed his soul to God and the Priory of St. Leonard. His new life was not exactly the party he thought he had been promised upon joining. For now he was stuck and was only allowed to eat vegetables and eat bread. He was allowed a little sip of beer and could only sleep six hours a night. Oh, what a hard life of prayer and solitude that lay in store for him. What a poor sod. Never make decisions when you're drunk, people. I'm sure we've all been there and said stupid things and done stupid things when we're drunk. This is a moral of this story. Don't get drunk and do stupid shit. Says the guy drinking and talking about this and making a podcast about drinking. After living for a, a year as a monk, the joyful paunch of Brother Jucundus has slowly begun to disappear. The twinkle in his eye slowly faded to a dour, solemn expression of boredom and regret. But he thought to himself, I've managed a year of this. Surely I should be allowed to celebrate that fact. I have been a good and proper brother for a whole year. I deserve to celebrate this. Oh, please let me celebrate. If I don't, surely I will die. Let me have this one night, and for the rest of the year to come, I'll put up with beans and cabbage and the smells that result, and the lack of beer and all the matins before dawn and all all that stuff. Uh, just, just don't go into my room because it smells the beans and the cabbage. Oof. God. Luckily for Brother Jucundus, it was the time of the year that the York Fair arrived. Oh, how he wanted to go to the fair. To see the... And here, I'm going to directly quote from Sabine's own hands, um, because some of these things are a little bit interesting. Uh, so don't, don't blame me for these words, but 
Yeah. He wanted to go see the shows of dancing dogs, the whirly-go-rounds, the giantesses and dwarves, the spice stalls, the drinking booths. To York Fair he must. He would go, if condemned to a bean and a thimble full of water for fasting dinner ever after. Yeah. Not sure we can get away with calling things dancing dogs, giantesses and dwarves nowadays, but I think he was more intrigued by the drinking booths. Brother Jacundus was like, Dude, I've followed your rules for a year, I need to go celebrate. So he could not obviously stay away, and temptation was just too much. So he kind of started to hatch a plan. After the monks had eaten their beans and cabbage, and they'd gone to sleep, and you could hear the slight tooting as they slept amid the snores, Brother Jay snuck around to the priory, to the porter's lodge, where the porter was also fast asleep, and he stole his keys. Using these keys, the stealthy monk, somewhat like a hessian-robed ninja, I feel, he went to the prior's abode, where he stole... Nope, nope, not stole, nope, sorry. Borrowed, yep, he definitely borrowed, not stole, a gold crown from the money box. And quick as a brown fox jumping over a lazy dog, he scarpered to the fair. Not so long after this, the, the prior and the porter awoke, for some unknown reason, maybe all the cabbage and beans was having an effect on them. They awoke and they found that their keys and the prior found that the gold coins were missing. And so to solve this crime, all the monks were summoned to the chapter house. All came. All but one. Didn't take a genius to work out what had happened. Monks ain't that stupid. So they sent two of their brothers on a quest. A great and grand important quest. Probably the most important quest they had ever been on. For this was the first time they would probably step outside of the monastery for the priory, sorry, not the monastery, the priory for such a long time. This was the quest to find Brother Jacundus. At the fair, good old Brother Jay, he was having the time of his life. He'd eaten so many gingerbread horses and men. And yeah, that's what's been said, gingerbread horses. Apparently that's a thing. I googled it and apparently it is a thing. I've never had a gingerbread horse before. I've had houses and men and women and children, uh, but I've never seen a horse. So that's probably just me and my sad life that I exist. Oh, well. Anyway, uh, yeah, so he had these... uh, People would come to say that the amount he had eaten, it was a prestigious amount. Prodigious amount. Uh, And back to quoting from the text, because, well, hello, 19th century Victorians. He said... He had seen the spotted boy and the bearded woman. He had gone round to the wordy gig on the back of a wooden horse. He had shot for nuts at a mark and won his pocket full, which he cracked every now and then, and washed down with a draught of really good ale. With his drink in hand, he decided for one final ride. A go on the largest seesaw he had ever seen. So large, in fact, that it had boats on either end to hold many riders. He was having a right jolly old time. He was red in the face with joy and alcohol. So joyful was he that he burst forth in song. In Dolce Jubileo, up, up, up we go. And he was singing loudly, and the seesaw was on its way up. Brother Jay caught sight of two monks heading his way. He sank down in his seat, recognising the questing brothers from the priory, who both had grim faces making their way towards the seesaw. In a panic, Brother Jay tried to scramble out of the seesaw and being, well, shall I say it, a little bit sloshed, fell face first, right into the dirt. However, unperturbed by this, uh, the dour monks, the dour questing monks, picked him up and lumped him into a wheelbarrow for ease of transport back to the priory. They weren't going to be carrying no piss head back on their shoulders or anything. Throw him in the wheelbarrow. When they got back to the priory, the prior was none too pleased to see Brother Jay. And on the other hand, Brother Jacundus was more than pleased with himself as he looked up from his ride, smiled and belted out, In Dolce Jubilo! Up, up, up we go! Now, the stern prior had him taken to the chapter house to face punishment from the assembled monks. He was done for. Quite red-faced and happy was not a proper way for a monk. He was guilty. Guilty. Guilty, I tell you! When asked to defend his heinous acts of enjoyment and jovility, 
he looked around at all the monks. Being the beamiest and biggest smile his ruddy red cheeks would allow, he hiccuped and pronounced, In dolce jubilo! Before he could even finish, the sentence was announced. No more fun for Brother Jucundus. To make sure he could have no more fun nor temptation, he was to be walled alive into a niche in the priory cellar. This act was to be carried out effective immediately. I feel a rather harsh and severe punishment for having a little drinky-winky, methinks. If this was me in here, I'd have been put in there many years ago. Inurement is a bit of a harsh way to go for not just monks, for anybody. Um, but for monks who are like holy and good and are meant to do no sin, you're doing like inurement. You're literally burying someone alive in a wall. That's a bit harsh, mate. Anyway, uh, as our dear inebriated brother Jay was taken down to the cellar, his tune changed somewhat, and instead of the exuberance, he sadly trolled out, Down, down, down we go. A small nook was found, not all mean and evil, a little water and a loaf of bread was left with him as they walled him up. I lay, no, they're all fucking evil bastards. Um, it literally took them like 15 minutes to warm him up behind there, and they enjoyed every fucking minute of it. I think they throw that water in, and bread in there just to kind of taunt the little man. And as Brother Jacunda started to sober up, he realised how bad his predicament was. He was walled in, forced to stand, and barely able to move. Unhappy with this, and a real bad need to kind of maybe relieve himself from the headache starting to kick in. He kicked and pressed and punched with all his might on the walls, and suddenly, with a crash, the wall behind him gave way, and he rolled backwards over a heap of fallen bricks into a cellar. This was not the cellar that he knew. This wasn't the cellar of St Leonard's. The shock of it all kind of sobered him up a little bit quickly. Realising he was now free from a terrible fate, and not really wanting to contemplate too much on it, he bolted, straight up the stairs and away as quick as he could. Only, however, to find himself in the Abbey of St Mary's. The cellars of the two monasteries had adjoined. A wall alone had divided them. He tumbled out of St Leonard's into St Mary's. Oh, the irony. Out of the fire and into the pan, he was hoping. Unfortunately, this was not the case was this monastery belonged to the Cistercian order. They all took vows of silence. The only day that they were allowed to speak was on Easter Day. This was a day of great confusion for the monks, though, as they all talked to each other, but no one really listened, because, well, they were all talking, and so there was not much listening going on. And so, as he was escaping, Brother Jucundus stumbled into the cloisters, and in front of all of the monks. Expecting to be quizzed and questioned, he prepped his excuses. However, no one spoke to him. They all just swept past him like he was a ghost. Seeing that they were eating and he was being ignored, Brother Jacundus decided to join in and made himself at home, just grateful to be alive. A year passed. Yeah, a year passed. Uh, he there's no explanation here as to kind of why he joined the, mon the monastery. He just kind of joined this other monastery. No idea why he didn't just peg it. They weren't exactly going to scream after him to stop, were they? But yeah, so a year passed and he was all but ignored. No one thought about him or paid him much heed. As they were all allowed to think, as all they were allowed to think on was their own spiritual growth. If he thought St. Leonard's was boring, well, this was so much worse. But a year had passed, and, uh, well, he remembered what was in York last year, and he desired so much to go back. But maybe, maybe not have such a disastrous ending this time. And it just so happened that at this time of the year, the position of cellarer became vacant at St Mary's, the old monk who looked after the wines and the beer having recently just passed away. And by some happy turn of events, the abbot decided that Brother Jacundus was to be the new cellarer and handed the keys over to him. 
obviously they'd not heard the stories. So, good old brother Jay, a twinkle starting to come back into his eye, started to form a new plot. If he couldn't go to the fair, well then, the fair would come to him. All alone in the cellar by himself. <laughs> no, not like that. So, on the day of the fair, and all the monks had gone to bed, Brother Jacundus put his best stealth monk ninja shoes back on again and crept down into the cellar, this time with a tankard in hand and a lantern in the other. St Mary's was a fine abbey and often had important and even royal guests from time to time, so it was well stocked with the finest wine and strong ales. This brought much joy to Brother Jacundus, who proceeded to try every single barrel. A rookie mistake here we see. Mixing wines, beers and ciders is probably not the best idea. And I'm... Yeah, I'm speaking from experience here. Don't do it. Really bad idea. The morning after is not good. And maybe the morning after that as well is also not good. Um, it can it can go for a, a few days, that kind of hangover. Wine, beer and cider, mixing them all together. Definitely, definitely bad. Bad. Anyway. So, our first one monk uh, was about to discover this fact as well as he passed out in the cellar. The following day, the monks of St Mary's gathered for lunch, and their frugal little tipple that they were allowed. Much to their surprise though, the tankards were empty, and there was no wine or beer to be seen in the refectory at all. Sat there waiting, they waited, and waited, and waited. In silence, because... Obviously, they weren't allowed to talk and have a conversation and keep themselves entertained. And so they were shuffling their feet and they started to growl and grumble and grunt. But obviously not talking, just kind of making noises. The abbot, though, he was not happy. And after a while, he got to his feet and broke his vow. He shouted in a voice of thunder, reminiscent of Thor. I want my beer! Taking lead from the abbot, the monks began to chant. Beer, 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 we all want our beer. Resounded from every part of the refectory. Almost like dwarven monks. Beer, 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 we all want our beer. Beer, 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 we all want our beer. Where's Brother Jacundus? came the cries. And nobody knew. So... Two monks were sent on a quest. A better and easier quest than those from St. Leonard's mind, as all they had to do was fetch some ale and wine. And so, off they went to the cellar. However, soon after being sent off, they returned and silently beckoned the abbot to follow them. Down into the cellar. Dun, dun, dun. The rest of the monks, curious as they were not wont to be, decided to follow them down to the cellar as well. As they descended, they began to hear the dulcet tones of a song being slurred. Upon entering the cellar, there lay Brother Jacundus, in a heap, with his head against the butt of a barrel, flourishing his tankard over his head, and feebly, incoherently, twirling forth, In dolce jubilio! Up, up, up we go! These monks, however, were far too serious for this to be forgiven and passed over. Of course they're serious. They bloody haven't spoken for a year up until this point. Bet they're probably pissed that they can't speak. And much in the same manner as before, it was quickly decided that Brother Jacundus should be walled up alive in the cellar ASAP. Because these monks are bastards as well. And apparently if you do something wrong to piss off a monk, you get walled up in a cellar. And so they found a nice little crook for him to be walled up in. And as the bricks were being laid, Brother Jucundus started to sober up. And he realised that he recognised this crook. And that it was the same one that he was walled up in a year earlier. And many of the bricks being used were probably the same bricks that he had thrown on the floor a year earlier. However, he was not fully sober. He was, he was sober enough to recognise things, but not fully sober enough. And so he was still in a mood to sing, and sing he did. 
louder than before, and at the top of his lungs he belted forth, In Dolce Jubilio! Up, up, up we go! Now, it just so happened as well that at this very moment he started to sing as loudly as he could. The cellarer from St. Leonard's was making his way down to get the drinks for the dinner at the Priory. The cellarer heard the singing thundering through the wall. In dulce jubilio, up, up, up we go. He remembered the voice and the song, and what had taken place a year ago in this very cellar. He dropped his tankard and he fled back up to the refectory in amazement. A miracle! A miracle! he screamed to the monks, who had unfortunately just finished burying the prior, who had recently passed away. Yeah, the dickhead who put him in the wall in the first place. So all the monks, they followed the cellarer down to the cellar, curious as to this miracle on such a solemn day. Only to be awed by the sound of Brother Jucundus's voice reverberating from behind the wall, where twelve months ago they had buried him alive. It was a miracle! There could be no doubt about it! Eager hands tore down the wall and revealed the reverend brother, hale and rosy, as if he had only just been walled up there. At his side there was a loaf of fresh bread, as what they put in, and there was a pitcher full of wall just next to that as well. In the monks' minds this was no doubt a miracle, and a message from God. Brother Jucundus was innocent, and he should be the new prior. With one voice they shouted, Jucundus, our prior! Saint Jucundus, our head and father! On the shoulders of the enthusiastic brethren, the miraculous monk was carried up the stairs and installed in the prior's seat in the chapter house. And under him, St. Leonard's jogged along very pleasantly, and he did much in his long rule of the monastery, for its discipline and good order, if not to justify at least, to excuse the dissolution which fell on it immediately after his death. Yeah, so cool. There you go. That is the story of the drunk monk, Brother Jucundus, and the most lucky monk that you can kind of imagine. He was walled up twice and ended up like in the strongest position that he could be at the head of a bloody priory. Anyway, so yeah, that is how to be a drunken monk and become a miracle worker. Uh, obviously, I'm not <laughs> the veracity of this story, uh, well, whether it comes from any kind of true events, uh, we can't say because we don't know whether the Priory of St. Leonard's is a real Priory, but it's definitely a hospice, or was a hospice. Um, but yeah, we could delve into uh, whether St. Leonard was real or not as well, because um, St. Leonard is a, it's an interesting story here, this one. So let's have a little bit of a look at it. Uh, so he was said to have released prisoners um, back, in, back in the day. I think uh, they, they put St. Leonard kind of around the late 400s, so the early 5th century. So yeah, he was said to have released prisoners. He got a Merovingian queen pregnant through prayer and helped diseased castle. He was widely venerated in the Middle Ages, but only appears to have been written down and recorded in the early 12th century in a single book that the Catholic Church doesn't recognise as historical fact. And so he was written down and recorded the events of who St. Leonard was 700 years-ish after he lived and the Catholic Church don't like the book. But apparently his bones are said to rest in a very, very pretty-looking church or romance building in the town of saint Lenon de, de Nobla in France. And the town is named after St. Leonard. Um, so yeah, take from that what you will. Um, St. Leonard was, was wildly, wi wildly, widely worshipped for quite a long time and he was venerated as a saint, um, and had a, had a kind of a big cult behind him, um, in the middle ages and stuff. So yeah, um, go figure, may or may not be a real saint. We don't know. Well, I don't know. Anyway. It's not something that I pay that much attention to, the Catholic Church and saintism and stuff. Because apparently Mother Teresa might be sainted, and she wasn't particularly nice. Anyway, uh, so that is the story of Brother Jucundus, and a little bit of information about Sabine, and possibly a saint. Well, 
we'll see. Let's 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 move from one side of the world to the other. Let's go now over to China and here a little bit of a this one's actually more historically true. This one. Let's have a look at the mad monk Jigong from China. And I'm going to change drinks now as I've just finished my can of Northern Monk. So now I have opened my bottle of Tiger, which is definitely not Chinese. It's from Singapore. So I apologize for the very vague connection there with it just being an Asian beer. But yeah, so we're going to look at Jigong, the Mad Monk. So the stories of Jigong, um, they're actually based on a real-life historical figure, uh, a guy called Li Yam, uh, who lived at the end of the 12th century. He was the son of a military advisor in the Tiantai County in Zhejiang province. Unfortunately, we don't know much about his childhood uh, until he turns 18, around 18, when his parents die, and then he's shipped off to Lingying Temple. At the time, this is this was the largest Buddhist temple in Hangzhou, uh, and he becomes a Buddhist monk there. So, during his time there as a Buddhist monk, he is given the name of Daoji, and is mentored by a senior monk called Hui Yang. Unfortunately, Daoji was not exactly a huge fan of the daily routine of a monk. Um, the, all, all the sutra chanting, the meditating, the not eating meat not drinking and generally just having a bit of a boring time of life. Uh, so Daoji became a little bit of a rebel. He ate meat and he basically got wasted. A lot. And he was often seen wandering the streets of Hangzhou in a dirty, ragged cassock, half sloshed. So not your stereotypical, peaceful, at-peace monk sat there in a temple, quietly meditating, um, chanting. Yeah, he wasn't that kind of monk. His behaviour kind of led him to not being particularly liked by the other monks, and he was often ostracised and scolded by them for his uncouth ways, shall we say. He was generally regarded as a bit of an outsider, and uh, some stories call him a bit of a freak. And this, to me, just seems a little bit unfair. Uh, but as we saw with, with Brother Jay before, being a monk and being junk, drunk, being a monk and being drunk, there we go, generally doesn't seem to go down well with other monks so don't expect me to ever kind of become a monk because well i drink too much anyway so luckily for daoji though his mentor uh, was uh, kind of much nicer than the the priors and the abbots were to, to brother jay and some of the stories and legends say that his mentor knew a little bit of a secret about daoji and that he was actually an incarnation of the taming dragon arat now uh, a bit of back, backstory here, and Arat is uh, one of the OG followers of Buddha, Buddha. And this dude tamed a fucking dragon. She tamed a dragon. This dragon was the king of dragons as well. Um, so he tamed the dragon and he rescued some of the scriptures um, that the dragon king had stolen after the dragon decided to flood half of India. Yeah, the, the flooding of India was to kind of like stop some rebellions and actually do some good stuff, but the dragon was also a bit of an ass. And so, yeah, um, Daoji was apparently an incarnation of uh, this Taming Dragon Arat. So one of the original, of the original 18, 18, 16, whatever, 18 followers of uh, Buddha. So, yes. And so when the, the, the actual monks criticised Daoji, his mentor would just turn and say to them, the door of Buddhism is so widely open. Why can't this crazy monk be forgiven and let in? And now I think a fair few people could learn a lot from that statement. But I'm not going to go into a religious discord here, so um, just take that statement and have a think. Daoji was also, uh, being of the kind of person that he was, he was not put out by the mean words of his fellow monks. And he was often, often replied with, like, meat and wine just passed through my guts, but the Buddha will always remain in my heart. However, unfortunately, Hui Wan was an elderly monk, and he eventually passed away. And almost immediately after this, Daoji was expelled from the Lingying Temple, because they were a bunch of bastards, basically. Um, see story above. 
So not being put out by this, uh, he actually decided to, to walk over to the other side of the town and went to Jiangqi Temple uh, on the other side of Hangzhou. And here he became a scribe and worked for the um, worked for the temple and was quite quite nice. But he kept to his old habits of drinking and eating meat. He also still wandered the streets and was hanging out with the common folk in dive bars, getting off his tits and cracking all manner of jokes. I like this guy. Talking to drunk monks <laughs> in in Asia, uh, one of the primary schools that I worked at in J- in Japan, it was a. Uh, um, next to a buddhist temple and the the enchul sensei so principal of the school was the head of the church as well and he was also a right pisshead so yeah um but there may have been connections there to certain families in the back streets of yokohama we'll not get into that one even though the monks uh thought he was a bit weird uh, this we're going back to daoji now so even though the monks thought he was a bit weird the locals saw past that and they loved him because Daoji, he, he spent a lot of time down there with the poor and the downtrodden. He liked the lower castles and the underprivileged. They knew how to have a good time. Not on this kind of stuck up, sat around, praying kind of crap. They, they looked after him and so he looked after them. He treated their ailments and he looked after them. And the simple folk thought though that because he was so good at healing them, he had some kind of magical powers. And so from that they called him Jigong, the living Buddha. Jigong became well known and actually in China today is still quite well known and there are many there's there's TV shows and and movies about him he's also a cultural icon recognized by by the Chinese government so yeah and there are many stories of his exploits shall we say so we're going to have a I'm going to I'm going to have a I'm going to tell you two of them I'm going to tell you two folk tales about this drunk monk Jigong was on one of his usual drunken wanderings around town near the Lingying Temple, when all of a sudden he felt his heart skip a beat in his chest. Now Jigong had many powers, and one of them was clairvoyancy. So rather than seeking out medical help for what was probably a mild heart attack or arrhythmia, he used his power of clairvoyance and saw that the top of a mountain was going to jump up and fly. Because that's what mountain peaks do they jump and fly and so using his powers he followed the path that the mountaintop would take he saw that it would land atop a village squashing it completely using his alcohol fueled powers and abilities he ran to the village to spread word of the danger they were in trying to get them to flee however no one listened to him harking on about a mad monk or the drunk monk must have lost his mind again they all ignored his pleas so, casting around for, for help or ideas, he saw a wedding taking place. So, in a fit of brilliance, or madness, depending upon your point of view, he dashed to the wedding, snatched up the bride, flung her over his shoulder, and scarpered. Surprisingly enough, the people were not too happy about this. A drunk monk running into a village, kidnapping a bride, and buggering off with her. So they chased after him, out of the village, and to a farm where he had taken refuge. And lo and behold, as they were all banging on the farm doors, demanding for the bride to return, the peak of the mountain crashed down and flattened their entire village. All were saved because of the Drunk monks kidnapping the bride. And to this day, there is a huge rock. And this is true. There is a huge rock sitting near the Lingying Temple in Hangzhou. And it's called the Flying Peak. It's massive and it has a lot of carvings of Buddha and Jigong and like 400 other important Buddha, Buddhist deities and things in it. And so yeah, there is actually there is a rock in Hangzhou that this story is based off. So... Did the mountain really fly and crush a load of villagers? And did this drunk monk save them all? Hmm. Wait, and one last tale about Jigong, and then uh, we'll uh, kind of leave it at that. So the other story uh, talks of his magical fan. Uh, There's a couple of stories about his magical fan and and how he does stuff. We're going to talk about how he saved the temple after a fire. 
one day a disaster befell the Lingying Temple. Notice how we're at the Lingying Temple, like the temple that he was kicked out of, not the Jiangji Temple. Um, so yeah, he did a lot of good for the temple that then booted him out when his master died. Fucking monks. But yeah, so the Lingying Temple burned down to the ground. The abbot wanted it rebuilt ASAP, but the wood that he wanted and needed for the rebuild was hundreds of miles away. And so, not sure why they couldn't use local wood, but apparently they needed this special type of wood that was hundreds of miles away. But to get this wood, it would take months. Um, and the abbot was an impatient little fuck, and he couldn't really be bothered to wait that long. So, he went to, to Jigong, who by this point in the day was probably knee-deep in drink, and asked him if he could help. Jigong knew in his current state he really probably wouldn't be able to do much, so he said to the abbot, Meet me tomorrow about, about midday by the well in the temple, and uh, you'll have all the wood you want. Here's a beer. At the allotted time, Jigong and all the monks gathered at the temple's well. He got out his fan and he began to incant and wave the fan in mystical patterns over the well. Suddenly, the well vomited forth log upon log, one after another, projectile vomiting them all around. Pretty much like Jigong had done this morning, the beer that he had drunk the night before. I shouldn't say beer, I should say wine, because I'm guessing at this point, um, 1200s? I doubt there was beer in China. So yeah. He, he vomited, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> sidetrack. Eventually, uh, when there was enough of a monk, when there was enough of a monk, uh, eventually, when there was enough, a monk shouted, Enough! And Jigong stopped his incantations. The well stopped spewing up logs, though one that was on its way up got stuck halfway. And it remained there for many years to follow. So there we have it. The drunk monk Jigong, or Dao Ji. And there are many, 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 many more stories about him. And they're all a little fun and a little bit entertaining. And kind of like moral stories and things as well. So, But as I said at the start of this, uh, he is actually a real monk. Um, Lee was the real monk from the 12th century. And he's actually widely respected as the 50th patriarch of Chan Buddhism. He wrote 10 volumes of Zhuang Peak quotations and many, many, many poems. Um, in his writings, he teaches people not to judge things by their external appearance and says that great virtue doesn't exist in the material world or rituals, but in one's heart. Um, he is still widely worshipped in many temples across China, Hong Kong and Taiwan and is now considered a deity of uh, Buddhism. And it's kind of cool, that. And I think, yeah... I can get behind him. Yeah. Um, great virtue doesn't exist in, in in rituals or the material world. Great virtue and goodness comes from your heart, I suppose is a good it's a good thing. It's a good moral story. It's one of those nice ones, isn't it? So I say yes, technically I, 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 I kinda label myself as a as a Norse heathen, but it all kinda comes down to uh, just basically don't be a dick. And I think uh Jigong there has, has the right end of the stick. So there we go. Um, bit of a bit of a long episode today. Well, not not long like last episode, but my episodes never they never seem to kind of have a length. I don't I don't aim for anything. Like some people aim for an hour, some people aim for half an hour, some people aim. For, I just go and just do it. But yeah, so that was an episode. Um, I wanted to tell Brother Jay because. Brother Jugundus is is a soul brother. Uh, he likes his drink. He likes to party and have a bit of fun. In Dolce Jubileo, up, up, up we go, shall we say? But yeah, so I also liked. I like Jigong. I think he's actually got his, his tenets of Buddhism and stuff. Are kind of cool, and uh, some of his stories are kind of cool as well. So I thought I'd tell you that because it's a it's a drunk monk story from another country. I'm testing something out next 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 episode. I've noticed. Despite the fact that I did have someone in, in Indiana um, last week download all my episodes in one go, so thank you very much, whoever you are. Um, 
I've noticed a little bit of a drop off in listenership recently. So I don't know whether that's because I've stopped doing weird, darker stuff and looked at actually more normal stuff. And though my Tamalama Duda episode is actually one of the, the highest downloaded out there. Um, yeah, uh, I'm going to go and do something dark again in the next episode. I've not decided what yet. Um, I've got a few ideas. Maybe maybe the witch's eye or the evil eye. Uh, de- maybe demons, maybe werewolves. I don't know. The, the hand of glory. But the hand of glory is all over the place. Loads of people have done that. I don't know, something else. I don't know. Uh, if you've got any ideas, do let me know. <laughs> I'm kind of liking the idea of the evil eye or the witch's eye at the moment. Um, but then I did just listen to the Midnight Library on that one. Uh, do an episode on it. Or, or talk about a little bit of the, the evil eye there. We'll see. I'm not sure. Let me just have a quick look at the uh, calendar. Ooh. I should be able to get out another episode. I was just wondering. I've got friends visiting at the end of the month so um i should be able to get another episode out at the end of the month so you'll get two episodes this month but that's it for this episode um next episode will be a bit dark and a bit weirder don't know what yet as they say so yeah please do like and subscribe to my youtube channel where you can actually watch the games you can follow me on spotify and apple uh, rate and leave comments um and share it around so people know about this um and it's not just me talking to like three of my friends in a podcast yeah so please do that you can also find me over on twitter at the drunken store one i'm on facebook at the drunken storyteller don't really do that uh, facebook is probably a bit of a damp squid there you can email me ideas at the drunken storyteller uk at gmail.com um and things like that uh, you can also find me over on uh, darker days radio where we talk about horror themed rpgs and stuff and things like that um but yeah so that's going to be the end of this episode i hope you enjoyed it i hope you enjoyed the tales of drunk monks there are more out there um and i may come back to drunk monks again at some point i don't know but um yeah i want to do something darker and a little bit more twisted next time so the drink has run dry and all that is left for me to say is goodbye my friends